I love that Celtic sound. That's awesome. Hey, before I forget, you're going to sing that at the Man Up Conference this coming year, all right? Mark that down. Don't forget, you're going to sing that song, all right? Got it? Rob, write that down somewhere. Remember that, because I'll forget. <laughs> I'm at that age where things are slipping past me, and uh, it's sad to see them go. Many of you have asked how my mom's doing, and I happened to see my mom. We stopped by this afternoon and saw her for just a little bit. My mom left us a while ago. She's still here in body, but uh, she has a very meager life. Uh, she just kind of sits and and kind of just, uh, you know, soaks things in. She doesn't communicate anymore. She doesn't uh, respond much anymore. My dad goes by two times a day to uh, feed her and help her. And it's awesome to see that. Kind of goes with my message tonight a little bit. But um, I'm praying that the Lord takes her home. My dad's got mixed emotions about that. He, he loves her and needs her, but at the same time, she's not got much life. I got to tell you that. And I say this and understand what I say. I'm not, I'm not for euthanasia. I'm not for that at all. It's God's timing. But I can see how people could see that. When you see someone who's like that and they really don't have much, I, I, t- I told her today, I said, Mom, go home and see the Lord. He's waiting for you. And uh, we'll leave it in his time. But that song is perfect. Every day we've got to get up and we've got to face something. And, and I don't know what you're facing tonight, but you're facing something. You've got something in your life and you're wondering, Lord, why? And uh, we get up and we just say, Lord, I, I got to give it to you. And I don't understand, but I'm going to give it to you. So a great song and a great opportunity here. So please continue to pray for my dad uh, who uh, needs the strength to go and be with her. And then just pray that the Lord would have his perfect will and way. I tell people when I pray, I pray this, Lord, here's my will. My will is that she wouldn't suffer, that she, you know, would have some kind of life. But Lord, if that's not going to happen, then, then we'll trust your will. So you pray that in your situation too, would you? And the Lord will take care of you with that. I want to give you this message tonight. I've Entitled this revival by a defined Christian life requires a catalyst of compassion. A catalyst of compassion. I want you to help me tonight as loud as you can. This auditorium really soaks up a lot of sound. So if you'll give me a strong voice, would you in a word or two describe this present generation? In a word or two, help me out. Lift your hand so I can see it. Tell me, give me a word or two that describes this present generation. Yes, sir, Brother Paul. Lost. Very good. What else? Yes, sir. Deceived. Very good. Excellent. Yes, ma'am. Confused. Very good. Did you have your hand up? Yes, sir. Evil. All right. Very good. What else? Yes, ma'am. Selfish. Very good. Excellent. This side over here, give you an opportunity. Anybody over here? Brother Baker, you got one? What, how would you describe this generation? Could somebody wake him up, please, and let him know I'm talking to Oh, there you go. Okay, sir. Hopeless. Very good. Now, did you notice in that description, there are not many positive words. Not, not many hopeful things there. It's very bleak. Very sad. Now, here's the problem is that we have a mix of two generations here. We have an older generation that grew up one way, and we have a younger generation who's growing up a little bit different way, and those two generations collide sometimes. The older generation looks at a younger generation and says, they're hopeless, they're lost, they're, they're weak, they're, they're selfish, they're self-indulging, all those kind of things. I've heard that many times when I ask this question. And, and then we have a younger generation that looks at the older generation and said they're hard and they're, and they're, they're bleak and they're you know, uh, discouraging and all those other things. And I have to say this, for th- those of us that are older looking at a younger generation, I have to ask, how did they get that way? 
Who raised them, who taught them, who instructed them that they've turned out the way they have? That, that didn't just happen. They just didn't come upon that way. And we have a struggle, too, because we have a, a, a generation that's grown up. Uh, I, I look at my family. My grandpa Stone was a pretty tough guy. He was very rigid. There, he wasn't a lot of kidding around with my grandpa Stone. He, he had a good sense of humor, but boy, when he said it, you better do it. And my dad would tell you better than me that if you didn't do right, you got a licking or you got a kick in the seat of the pants and, and you just did what you were told to do. If you went to school and you didn't do right, you got the same thing from your teacher. In fact, he had a brother that took a strap on the hands. I think he got, I don't know, how many, 10, 12 smacks on each hand with a strap and 40, 40 licks, 20 on each hand because, and he wouldn't, because he wouldn't cry. The teacher said, when you cry, I'll stop. He wouldn't cry. He was that stubborn. I would have taken it as you raise it in the air, I would start crying, but a different generation. But you figure my, my grandpa's generation was back in the time of the Second World War, First Second World War. And those men went to war and saw people die and saw the atrocity of war and came back tough men, hard men. They were used to taking orders and you did what they said or else you faced the consequences. So that generation came home and they raised their kids that way. And their kids uh, saw how hard that was and, and kind of changed a little bit. And then I was raised up in the 70s. And we remember that, don't we? That was a different time. And, and then we've gone from that to a generation that said, well, that was maybe a little too lax. And, and now we've got to be a little tougher, but we don't want to be so tough. And now we have the generation that we have today. And so we had a generation, when I was a kid, I look at guys around here, I look at my dad, I look at guys like uh, Dave Laidlaw, who I worked for for a little bit, and I looked at Bobby Simmons and Joe Strachan. I think of those guys and their dads. And Bob's dad was a, was a fisherman on Lake Erie. Tough guy. His dad was a great guy, but he was a tough guy. You didn't mess around with him. If you, if Bob, if you'd have backtalked your dad, you probably wouldn't be here today. Bob, Bob, I knew your dad, or uh, uh, Dave, I knew your dad, Bob Laidlaw, and, and I worked with Dave, and Dave was a hardworking guy, but you didn't mess around. He, he, he got to get the job done. Man, he taught me some great things and working hard at my dad. I mean, I remember one time I was in the shop working with him. I cut my finger off, and he said, quit your crying, glue it back on. He was just that kind of guy. <laughs> I'm kidding. Actually, he was the guy that did that. <laughs> my dad, these guys all lived, if they worked at all, they all did this. If they cut themselves... They didn't get a band-aid. They didn't have time for that. There was always a roll of um, paper towels somewhere in the shop and black electrical tape. And a lot of times I saw my dad with a paper towel and black electrical tape still going at it. He didn't have time to stop. He couldn't go to the hospital. They had to work. They were tough guys, hard guys. Didn't cry. Didn't cry. You don't cry. That's not manly. And then we get into a generation today where it seems like this generation just needs more coddling and, and they're not used to that loud and they don't like the yelling and, and sometimes they don't like that strong pound the pulpit kind of preaching in, in your face. And so we have a mix of those generations and it's, it's kind of tough sometimes to know how to, how to operate in this generation. But we must learn because we have a generation that is slipping away from us and if we don't, serve, don't soon figure it out, we're going to lose a generation of people from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The book of Jude helps us. Go to the book of Jude, if you would. Just before the book of Revelation. First, second, third John, Jude, Revelation. There are no chapters. There are just a number of verses. 25 to be exact. We're going to look at verses 17 to 22. Interesting passage. Jude 17 to 22. Jude 17 says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. Could I just stop there for a moment and say, boy, that sounds familiar. Kind of sounds like today to me, doesn't you? Verse 19, these be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit that we talked about this morning. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God. Could I just stop and say verse 20? That's what we talked about this morning, praying in the Holy Ghost. Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with Fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now, in him that is able to keep you from failing, or falling, I should say, sorry, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Am I alone in believing that that passage has echoed what we just described? Is that our generation? If it's not, it's very close. I'm 58 years of age. I'm soon to be 59, 59 years of age. And in 59 years, we've gone in what seems the bat of an eye from a husband and wife and children as a family unit. That's what I grew up with. You had a man and a woman and children. That's the family. To a generation today where we don't know what a family is. We have to redefine that because it can be two women or two men or it can be somebody who thinks they're a woman or thinks they're a man or identifies as. Now we have a problem in our high schools with young people that think they are animals. Yeah, that's right. Cats is the big one. And they walk around with tails pinned to them. And the, and the absurdity of our school system says we now have to provide litter boxes in the washrooms for those kids that identify as an animal. What planet are we on? Where are we going? Scotty, beam me up. <laughs> Jesus, come and get us. That's where we're living. And so we have to identify. In my time of 59 years, we've gone from I'm a boy and I'm a girl and I, that's my cat and that's my dog. I don't know if I'm the boy, girl, or the cat. A woman was a lady in my day. The women's rights movement did not help you ladies. <laughs> I saw a gentleman yesterday, and very rarely do I see this anymore. I saw a young man, he was about 20-something years old, and he was coming out of a restaurant, and he stopped, and he opened the door for his girlfriend, and she walked out, and I said, hey, man, thank you so much. Thank you for being a gentleman. I said, there's only two of us left, and I was thinking I was going to go instinct, extinct. And the girl just kind of stood there and looked at me. I said, man, you ought to keep this one. I said, this is a keeper right here. This is, that's awesome. Thank you for doing that. A lady, you treated a lady with respect. You held the door. You, you, you spoke politely to her. You helped her when she was in distress. Today, if you do that, you might get punched in the face by a lady. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I grew up believing a man was to be a gentleman and was to be kind and gentle to a lady and hold her up on a pedestal and, and, and treat her right with respect. I grew up believing that children were to obey and respect. They were to be seen and not heard. You, you, didn't, you didn't interject in a conversation. You waited. I talked this morning about pulling on the pant leg, and an immature child did that. But I was thought that you come up, if two adults are speaking, you waited until they're done. Then you would ask the question. You, you didn't try to control the situation. 
Nobody had to bow down and worship you. you. You were the child. They were the adult. I grew up where churches were packed and, and people were loving the Lord and, and we had great service and we still have some of that today and, and we still have some of those other things today. But we're living in a world that rejects with great anger today on a better part, God's word. I couldn't read you some of the letters we get at Bearing Precious Seed that people write us because we put a John of Romans in their mailbox. I mean, I had one guy that told me he was going to blow up our Bearing Precious Seed building because we put the word of God in his mailbox. We've had people say, if you come to my house again and put that in my mailbox, I said, hey, that was Canada Post. You have to write them. They did it. But man, they talk about terrible things. We're in a world that rejects with great anger God's family, God's gender assignment, God's order of leadership in the home and the government, and God's call to worship. How in the world will we reach our world with the news that reached us? Most of us here tonight, if not all of us tonight, there may be some children, but most of us here tonight know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. We've come back on a Sunday night, and I'm glad you have because I love Sunday night church. And, 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 and we've come because we know the Lord, and we love the Lord, and we want more of the Lord, and we love the fellowship, and we love the worship. How do we reach a world out there that doesn't get that? How do, we, how do we impress upon them what we've got in our lives? And by the way, when's the last time you thank the person that led you to Christ? If they're still alive today, when's the last time you thank the Lord that they led you to Christ? When's the last time you wrote them a note and said, thank you so much for showing me Christ? If they're gone home to be with the Lord, then just thank the Lord for them. But man, I'm telling you, how do we do it? That news that changed us and keeps us and motivates us. That news that God created the world, saw its deterioration by sin and came in the flesh, took the sin of the world of all time upon him and offered at the mercy seat of God his own shed blood. And all we had to do is receive it. All we had to do is take it. Well, Jude writes for us God's answer. He tells us how to do it. In this generation... This seeming wicked generation, this spoiled generation, this corrupt generation, this lost generation. He tells us how to do it. Would you look at what God says? He says, number one, build up yourselves. Build up yourselves. But beloved, remember the words which are spoken to the apostles, how that you're told should be mockers. He says this in verse 20, but, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. To every person in this place that has heard the gospel of God's love, to every person in this place that has acknowledged themselves as a sinner in need of a Savior, to everyone who has believed with their whole heart that Jesus is the Christ, to everyone who lives this life with the Holy Spirit of God residing in them, Jude pens this, build up yourselves. It's not my responsibility. It's not the pastor's responsibility. It's not the Sunday school teacher, the deacons. It's not your neighbor. It's not the prime minister. It is your responsibility to build up yourself. My kids are all into physical fitness. They all love them. I've got a son-in-law that just run a half marathon. My son's weightlifter, big, strong, strapping kid. My other son-in-law is a power lifter. I think he deadlifted 500 and some odd pounds the other day. And obviously, I work out with them. You can tell. You can see it. Love to run. I just love to run. I just love to lift weights. And that's not true. So I go to my kids. I say, man, I'm overweight. Drives me crazy. I'm overweight. I've always struggled. I want to lose. They said, dad, you got to work out. And I said, well, I don't like to. And I said, could you guys help me? Could you kind of like give me a meal plan? And could you, you know, give me some weight training to do and all that? And they said, dad, we can do that. But if you won't do it, it won't matter. 
And I said, but if you'll do it, then I'll do it. And they said, Dad, we've told you 20 times how to do it. Dad, you've seen us do it. You just got to do it. And, you know, I want that quick fix where, you know, I go to the gym and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've gone to the gym and I spend like two hours at the gym. I mean, I'm, and I'm sweating. I mean, I'm sweating. That, you can't get that hot tub any hotter. <laughs> and I don't lose a pound in that hot tub. It's amazing. I, I want to. I've learned this. If I'm going to lose weight, then it's up to me. I got to do the work. I got to put in the time. I got to be careful what I eat. I've got to concentrate on those things. And it's the same in the Christian life. We want to come to church and say, okay, God, make me spiritual. Okay, God, solve all my problems. Okay, God, take everything I've got and fix me. And sometimes God just says, hey, you got to build up yourself. You got to take the time. You got to get in the book. You got to pray. You got to spend time witnessing. You got you to be involved in the church. Build up yourselves on your own holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit, I come to you. And I'm asking you to help me. Would you convey with me to the Father my need? Would you, would you go on my behalf when I don't know what to say? And listen, we've all had those times in our lives, haven't we, where we just don't know what to say? We get news that a loved one is not doing well. And we, we've, we've lost the words. All we can do is cry, even in our own personal lives. We just get to that place where I, I just can't go on. I don't know what to do. I'm struggling here, and, and I don't know what words to utter. That's when the Holy Spirit goes on our behalf. We say, Holy Spirit, take the message to God and let him know my heart. You, you can tell him better than I can. If we're going to win this generation, we better learn to do that. Keeping yourselves in the love of God. What takes us out of the love of God? Well, God says there's two commandments. Love the, God, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Number one, we need to do that. And then number two, love your neighbor as yourself. Number one, I, I do pretty good with. Number two, I'm struggling with. Love my neighbor as myself. I got some neighbors that are great neighbors, but I tell you what, sometimes they're hard to love. So, sometimes these neighbors are hard to love. And sometimes I know it's hard to believe that I'm hard to love. <laughs> That's easy. <laughs> those are the two things. God says, if you don't do those things, I've got to set you aside. I can't have the relationship I want to have with you. And I think that many of us are missing out on a relationship of being able to win this generation because we've not been in that place where we're keeping ourselves in the love of God. It's hard that you have a child, and when that child disobeys, and when that child is wrong, you discipline, and you still love them, but when they do it over and over and over and over, you get to a place where it's hard to love that child. You do it because you're the parent. You do it because it's a natural thing, but, but it's hard. You know what I'm talking about. And when we go before God and we're disobedient, 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 it's hard for God, I think, to really give us that love that he wants to. Though he does it because he's God. He said, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, holding on to the hope of eternal life. In this day and in this age, it is the hope of eternal life that keeps me going. I'm looking forward to it. Many people have asked me, and I believe this, if, if Jesus doesn't come in at least our kids' or grandkids' generation, I, I'm, I'm really going to be surprised. I know preachers have been saying that for 2,000 years. I know that, that our pastor said that for many, many years, that he was coming, it seemed. But boy, with what we've seen in the last couple of years, it just seems so close. The world is so close to that. Just follow somebody and just lead us and just tell us and just take care of us. And when he arises, that Antichrist, the world will know and see 
Can I tell you that all takes work? That takes determination. It takes a desire and a, dis- a discipline. Words not used much anymore. That takes some help found in a place just like this, a church like this. That takes focus. That takes consistency. But the reward of that is hope, incredible peace, and an ability to go on. And with that comes the leading of others to that same Jesus Christ. Can I say today that, as I talked about this morning, you know, we are really emphasized in our lives to make sure we look like a Christian and talk like a Christian and act like a Christian. And there was a lot of emphasis put sometimes on that outward. But I'll tell you the reason for that was, and I don't spite preachers that preach that kind of stuff, because they were trying to take us out of the 70s into a different generation And the way that we identified it was kind of like the New Testament saints when they spoke in tongues and they would heal. In that day, in the 70s, 80s, as we come into those 90s, that was the separation. That's what showed that we were different. Our hair was short. Our dresses were longer. Our clothes were more modest. And our speech was different. And we didn't participate in some things that other people did. And people saw us and said, what's so different about you? And we said, we're Christians. And here's what I see today. I don't see a lot of difference between us and the world sometimes. I mean, we're watching the same movies, listening to the same music. We're participating in the same social activities. So how does the world then identify us as a Christian? How do they know that we're different? What betrays us? Is it our speech? I hope so. Is is it the fact that we have a love that that goes beyond a natural human love through Jesus Christ? Is is it the fact that we're portraying Jesus Christ? I have some neighbors next to us that are not saved. I've talked to you about them before. They're great people. And I said to them a while ago, I I did some things, and they said, why are you doing that? And I said, well, I'm going to be honest with you. I want to show you Jesus Christ. I want to show you what he looks like. I want to show you what he would do. In fact, I'm working on a message on that right now what Jesus would look like. We've never seen his face, but there are some things that definitely identify what Jesus looked like. I said, I want to do some things that will show you Jesus. If I'm going to win them, I've got to let them see something different. They participate in the things of this world, and they have a family, and, and, and they've got some things, but I know they're not satisfied. I, I know that they don't have the peace that I've got. The second thing that we need to see tonight is that we need to bestow compassion on some. My wife very astutely said, I think that's not just on some people, but on some generations. Look back in our text there, verse 22. And of some have compassion making a difference. I marked our generations, and I would say that, that my, my grandpa, tough, tough guy. My dad, tough guy. I, I'd like to think that I'm a pretty tough guy. But the generation coming behind us is not one that, responds well to that toughness. They respond to compassion. Uh, My kids, and I don't know if I've said this here before, but, you know, growing up, my dad's solution to everything was get a job. Get a job. If your car doesn't run, get a job. If your marriage is struggling, get a job. If your hand falls off, get two jobs. You know, get, get a job. And so I see people, and not so much here in Simcoe, but in St. Thomas, London, there are a lot of people standing on the corner with a sign that says, Jesus love you, I need help, please give me money. I'm going to be honest with you, when I drive by them, I think, get a job. (laughs) Get a job. Just go get a job. That'll solve all your problems. And that's not necessarily going to help their problems, but that's, that's the thought I have because that's the way I was raised. Get a job. 
And I got a job. I started working when I was 12 years of age, and, and I'm 58 years of age, soon to be 58. And in that span of time, I've only had three weeks in my life that I didn't work at something. I've just worked. And so to think of this generation, they need compassion. That's hard for me. I struggle with that. I'll be honest. I'll be, I struggle. I'm just like, pull up your bootstraps and let's go. Let's go to work. Let's, let's just get at it. Let's do it. This is what we need to do. This is the cause of Christ. People need to get saved. Let's go soul winning. Let's, let's pray more. Let's read the word more. Let's just do that. And I found that in this generation of young people coming, they don't have some things we had. A lot of them didn't have a dad. A lot of them didn't have a strong dad. A lot of them didn't have a dad that worked hard. A lot of them had, had situations where they didn't have the things that we had. And so when I look at them, I do become compassionate because I think, listen, they didn't have God in the school like we did. We said the Lord's Prayer every day, saying the national anthem. We had a respect for country, a respect for others. We had respect for property, and, and we grew up that way. And now we have a generation that doesn't have that. I grew up in a generation where we believe God is the creator. In the beginning, God. Now we have in these last 50 years a generation that has heard over and over again, there is no God. We evolved. We were cavemen. There were dinosaurs. And we came out of the water and grew legs. And here we are today. And that's what they've been taught. And that's what they believe. They don't know there's a loving God that loves them. They don't know about a savior. When I was a kid, I heard John 3.16 all the time. We sang songs about the Bible all the time. I got papers in school about church. Not today. And my heart breaks for them. To think that they haven't had what we've had. And I think they do need some compassion. We've had, in our not-so-distant past generations, those that were much tougher and stronger and more determined and more resolute, people who endured terrible conflict, families that suffered through depression, people that ran for their lives to a land of freedom, people who built nations with literally their bare hands. This generation does not respond as those did to the fire and brimstone preaching and teaching of the past that we did. So what do you do? Do you just get upset and say, well, forget them. You're on your own. Oh, could I remind you that some, for some of you, that's your kid's and your grandkids, and maybe for some, your great-grandkids. You want me just to let them go and slip off into eternity without Jesus Christ just because they're hard to work with, because we don't understand them, because they're different than we are? No. No, you want me to preach to them. You want me to love them. You want me to draw them to the things of Christ. It's like I want you to do for my grandkids because my grandkids are in that generation, and I love them, and I want to see them in heaven. I want them to know Christ, so I'm going to work twice as hard. On these we have, we use, and we demonstrate for these compassion, like Jesus did. Do you know that Jesus only blew up and Jesus only got hard with the religious crowd? With those that were lost, he showed compassion? The woman at the well? You wicked woman! You've had four husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. He didn't say that. He said, I can give you living water. If you'll just draw from the well. And when she realized that Jesus was talking about himself, she ran back to the city. She didn't say, you should have heard that preacher. He ripped me one. Man, he was fire and brimstone. She said, I found a man who told me all things. He's the Messiah. And the whole city came out to find him. Imagine if we could portray to Simcoe that love of Jesus Christ and that compassion of Jesus Christ and give to them that Savior that loves them. 
They, they have an ideal that we who are, you know, of, of that independent Baptist stripe, that Baptist preaching, that all we are is fire and brimstone. No, we're not. I've seen people weep at this altar for loved ones. I've seen them weep for those that, they, that don't know Christ. I've seen them go out and knock doors for hours and bring kids in on a bus and have a Sunday school program and a midweek service. And that compassion is what they need to see and know. They need to hear us knock on the door and say, can I just tell you that there's somebody in this city that loves you and cares about you. And, and we baked you a pie just to let you know that we care. I heard that your mom went into the hospital. I, if we can watch your kids for you and help you. I see your cars broke down again and you're having a hard time getting to work. Listen, I, I know a mechanic in our church and I'm sure he'd be happy to help you. And here's a couple bucks to get new tires and just some compassion. Do you notice that all the new companies that are starting, we see all these companies, and uh, I don't know if you've seen the commercial Bombas, Bombas Socks. They're in the United States. I think they're here in Canada, Bombas. And what Bombas does is for every pair of socks that you buy, they donate a pair to the homeless. There are a lot of companies that do that kind of stuff. They, they help people in, in third world nations, they, you know, whatever. This generation has a compassion on people that are hurting, they, have a, they don't even ask. They don't even care. Just somebody has a need, and we're going to help share that need. And some of us need to pick up on that. I need to pick up on that. I don't think giving a pair of socks is the answer to all that person's needs, but that show of compassion is what they need. Hey, mister, here's a pair of socks, but I want to give you something that's really going to help you, the gospel. I want to give you the good news of the Savior. Neighbor across the street that I've known for years, I've got to tell you finally about the Savior. If you were here tonight, listen, if you were here tonight and I knew that you weren't saved, I would beg, I would openly plead with you to be saved if it would win you. I would weep real tears in my invitation for you to come to Christ. I would give you the time, any time, if you would tell me that you want to hear of Jesus Christ. I mean that tonight. Compassion. I've seen with my mom and her situation, and I've seen other people in the hospital. I've seen, and we have some nurses and former nurses in the auditorium tonight. I've seen people who give compassion to the sick. I've seen people who give compassion to the dying. It's, it's moving. It's moving to see how gentle they are and how they caress that forehead of that person, try to keep them cool and comfortable in those times. And, and this is a hospital that we're in tonight. And, and there are sick people that are going to come in here and they need us not to judge and say, well, you know, if you'd get a job or if you'd, if you'd live right or if you, no, they don't need that. They need someone to say, hey, listen, you're sick. And, and we're going to take you to the doctor, the great physician. And, and while you're waiting, let me help to make you comfortable by befriending you and welcoming you and invi inviting you to meet some other people that would love to help you. My heart breaks to think that even one in this room, in this city, would miss out on knowing Christ as their Savior because we had no compassion. But if compassion is not what they need, Jude compels us to finally bring out others saving with fear. i I, I got to be honest with you. I, I've been studying the Bible a long time, and I learned something as I read through this. I used to think this, where it says in verse 23, and others save with fire. Pulling them out of the fire, here, or fear pulling them out of the fire. Here's what I used to think that meant. Go to somebody with compassion and say, hey, listen, here's Jesus. You need Jesus. If that doesn't work, then just tear it up. Man, as a preacher boy, you need Christ. Get saved. 
You're going to die and go to hell. You don't want to go to hell. Hell's terrible. And, and that's what I thought it meant. But that's not what it means. That's not what it means. It means this, that I see them in hell. And that fear drives me to be even more adamant in my attempt to try and save them. Imagine someone in this building tonight trapped in a fire, a child trapped in a fire. What we would do to get that person out of that fire. You're, you're in your home tonight and your house is on fire and your kids or your grandkids are trapped in that house. What you would do to get them out of the, the fear of your heart, thinking that they're in there and they're not able to get out and they're going to perish. What would you do? That's the intensity in which we need to try to win people to Jesus Christ. We need to see them in that fire. Their, 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 their garments are, are stained with the smoke of that fire. I've had the privilege of becoming the chaplain of our fire department at home, and I've been able to talk to these firefighters and, and learn, and, and I've asked them, I said, what's the hardest thing about being a firefighter? And they said this, when you lose a child in a fire, I think we'd all agree that'd be terrible. And one firefighter told me this, I had to quit looking at their eyes when I found people in a fire. Their eyes just haunt me. I could see them, and in those eyes, you could see the, the horror and the pain and the agony of those that perished in that fire. I just couldn't stand it, especially a child. And folks, I think we need to start looking into people's eyes and see there are those people that are going to perish for eternity without Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we need to have the fear that we're going to leave them behind, that we're not going to be able to rescue them. That kind of fear that we have to do all that we can to rescue them from that place called hell. That's what it's talking about. It's a compassion. But the compassion is not that which I just love you. My compassion is I'm fearful for you. And that, when people see and understand, moves their hearts. If I'm wrong, I've lost nothing in my decision to have Jesus Christ in my life. But if I'm right, they lose everything. Would you dare risk it tonight if you're here and not saved? Maybe that person tonight, you've never received Christ. The, the, the compassion is ours to give. The fear is what motivates us. Christian, would you dare let your loved ones, your friends, your co-workers, your countrymen spend eternity in a place like hell? without at least trying to, to, to give them the gospel with as much compassion and intensity as you can? If not, build up yourselves in your most holy faith and then show them every bit of compassion you can. Win them at all lengths with a fear of them perishing in eternity. Tonight, let's begin by seeing those that we know in a different light that person at work that just drives you nuts, all they want to do is raise the gay pride flag. They need compassion. They don't get it. They don't understand. Uh, how, how about that person that does drugs and, and, and boy, you've seen them, their life's deteriorating and, and it's just disgusting because they spent all that money and it's ruining their life. How about we see them in the eyes of fear that they're going to perish and their, their little family's going to follow after them and those children are going to follow after them and they're not going to have the hope of eternal life and they're not going to know the love that we know. Rather than just look at them and say, well, they should have known Jesus. Well, they should have gone to church. Well, they should have come the first time I invited them. No. Let's look at them and say, man, they're lost. 
they're lost. They don't have the Holy Spirit of God. They, they don't have the Word of God in their home like we did. They, they, they don't have that Sunday school teacher that prayed for them and begged God for them. They, they don't have that preacher that, that wept over them and, and, and desired for them to know Christ. They don't have that. All they may have is you and your family and your invitation and the tears streaming down your face to say, I just want you to know what I know about Jesus. How about tonight? Father, thank you for this night and for these good folks who've come again. Father, my heart is broken for our country tonight. I'm so torn. I'm so upset by what our leadership does. I'm so torn by some of the laws and decrees that are coming out of our House of Commons. I'm so torn by the people that live around me that just don't seem to really get it. But then, Lord, I'm torn because I realize that the only way they're going to get it, the only, the only way they're going to understand is if I help, see it, help them see it. If I show compassion, if I, with a fear, are more adamant about trying to win them to Christ instead of being so disillusioned and upset because people have rejected me, may I see them as perishing. Father, tonight, we need revival. But we're never going to see it in this country or any part of this world because revival will only come by a defined Christian life and that requires a catalyst of compassion. Help us to have that tonight. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed tonight. Who do you know? Who do you know that needs that kind of compassion tonight? Is there a lady on your street that's trying to raise some kids by herself that needs compassion? Is there a guy at your work that's struggling and trying to bury his grief in the bottle and drugs and pornography and gambling? Are there kids at your school that are so messed up they don't know if they're a guy or a girl or an animal or what they are or can't figure out what they should be? Do you know someone like that today? Do you know somebody that's just driven you crazy because of their sin, but tonight could we look at them and see them as not knowing Christ and not having the Holy Spirit and not having the teaching that we had and having the church that we had? Could we see them there and be broken for them and have some compassion on them and to be fearful to think that if we don't tell them, no one will? Tonight, could we spend some time praying for those can we stand to our feet, please? The piano begins to play quietly. Would you stand to your feet? I would invite you to come tonight to this old-fashioned altar. This Man, we had some great business done at this altar. We saw some great things happen at this altar. I've, there's tear stains on this altar from when I was a kid, begging God to let me be a preacher. I sat over here in this section, right about where Larry Wilson is. That was my spot. And many times came down to this old-fashioned altar and said, God, please instill in me a desire to win others. Twelve-year-old boy, make me a soul winner. Prayed for the bus kids over at 154 Maple Street that my dad would bring in on a bus, 50, 60, 70 kids sometimes. Would you come tonight and pray for those that you know? If you're not going to come tonight, in the place where you're standing, would you pray? And as we did this morning, when you're done praying, you can be seated. Lord, give me a heart of compassion. Help me to see people in a different light. Help me to see this generation in great need.
Help me with fear to understand that they need the gospel. When you're done, you can be seated tonight. Some are being seated now. You take your time. I, I have nowhere to go and nothing better to do than to pray for the lost. Some days coming back. If it's today, who'll be lost? Who'll be left to face a tribulation time and to stand in the judgment of God and hear the words, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. I wonder if someone will say, but, but no one ever told me. Nobody had that kind of compassion. They just yelled at me. They just cast me aside. Oh, what glory that will be for us who know him. Father, thank you. Thank you for tears tonight. Thank you for hearts of compassion. Thank you for a church that for so many years has been a shining light in this community. Father, it's not always been perfect. There's been some hard times, some bad times. But there are people here still who love you and love this church, and love this community. And I pray that tomorrow will be a different day. That some would be, for the, maybe the first time, bold enough to say, I just want to tell you something, secretary. I, I want to tell you something, my school teacher. I, I want to tell you something, my mechanic. I, I want to tell you something, greeter at Walmart. I love you. I know you hardly know me. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just want to tell you that I'm concerned for you. And I want you to know something that someone gave to me. Jesus loves you. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. And someone loved me enough to share that with me. And I accepted it. And it changed my life forever. I want you to know that. Father, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.